Okay, let me give you a greeting and you give it back to me. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. No, we didn't New Year yet, bro. We're talking about Christmas, man. Merry Christmas. Boom. You know what? Here at Compassion, man, I'm telling you, we celebrate the birth of Jesus with reckless abandon and no apologies. And it is so good to have everybody at all of our campuses who's with us today, as well as those of you who are watching at Compassion Online, man. We love you. We thank God for you. Uh, we're so glad that you're part of our church family, uh, you know, wherever you may be in the world. And let me tell you, I connected with a soldier right here at the Henderson campus last week. Uh, his name is John. It's his little wife, Julie. Uh, they're both part of our church, uh, you know, for a long time before the Army moved him to a new command in Germany. Uh, man, they have children who are still here in college, so they're back, you know, visiting. And I got to see them last week in worship. It was awesome. They told me they worship with us every week at Compassion Online. But friends, I'm just telling you, if you're like John and Julie and you live a long way off, and Compassion, Christ Compassion Online is your only access to worship, uh, praise the Lord and welcome to the party. Let's welcome everybody who's online today, y'all. Come on. Well, welcome everybody that's online. Good. But can I just say, if you're close enough to get here, I hope like the Brooms, you will make an effort to do so because man, you will be blessed if you do. And I'm telling you, online is a great place to start, but we just hope nobody's going to get stuck there unless you live a continent away and then we get that. Now, before we get into our series of messages on why God chose special people to do special things at the first Christmas, I want to share some really good news. Now, this is a special week uh, because we start receiving our Christmas offering today. Uh, every year we put these majors out uh, and we bring our kids up here, if we have kids, and we let them put their gift in the manger right where God put his gift. And it's just a reminder of how much we have to be thankful to Jesus for. And man, after 2020, who is thankful that Jesus carried us through this whole thing? Let me hear you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm telling you, man. Now, you know, it would just be goofy to celebrate somebody's birthday and give everybody a gift except them, right? <laughs> that don't make any sense. So every year we take up a special offering in addition to our regular giving just to say thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. Now, we're going to give a significant portion of this Christmas offering to our partners here at our, you know, around the world who are taking care of people who are getting hit a lot harder than we are. Uh, and then we'll use uh, the rest of the offering to do ministry right here in our community. Uh, and friends, that's good news. I can't wait to see what God does through that. Here's the great news. <clears throat> I told you a couple weeks ago after our faith promise pledges were turned in in November, and you know, faith promise pledges, uh, that's how we uh, fuel and finance our local and global outreach. I told you a couple weeks ago that our pledges came in at 50% below uh, where they were last, last year. And honestly, that just scared the fool out of me. And I'm fearless. And so, so you know, when you get scared, you know, Christians, we start praying, right? And so we prayed to God and we talked to the folks. And since that time, you folks have stepped up in just an amazing way, since just a week or so ago, we have received an additional $600,000 in pledges uh, to make this world a better place. Man, let's praise the Lord. Amen. Let's, matter of fact, let's thank God. Father, thank you for being so generous to us. Thank you, Lord, for causing a spirit of generosity to well up in the hearts of your sons and daughters. We know it exists in you. And Father, we want to see it in us as well. And I just pray, God, that you would bless us now as we use these gifts that you're providing, Lord, to bless, uh, to extend your kingdom and to bless your world. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Good, good, good. Now open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to start at the very first chapter in the New Testament. Matthew chapter one. And we're going to look at Joseph, the man that God chose to lead the family that Jesus grew up in. 
Now to set this up, I want to show you a clip from The Chosen, which is just one of my, my, my favorite internet video series on the life of Jesus. And man, it shows uh, Joseph and Jesus interacting with his mother Mary in a famous story that took place when Jesus was 12 years old. Uh, and if you've been around the Bible long, you know this story, but take a look at this. I think they did a great job with this. Here we go. <clears throat> I was supposed to be with my father. Then why weren't you? I was. <sighs> you were in the temple? It was incredible, Mary. You should have seen him. He was teaching when I found him. The rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, they could not believe their ears. Barely let us leave. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? It is too early for all this. If not now, when? Just help us get through all of this with you. Please. <laughs> Maybe we should get going before they make a formal inquiry, hmm? Jesus, please don't do that again, huh? Yes, Abba. May I read? We'll see, hmm? Come now, we've got a long journey. What are you going to do for your mother for this transgression, huh? I'm going to make him rub your feet. Abba! <laughs> I love that, man. Jesus, you're going to have to rub your mother's feet for putting her through this trial. You know what? I love the way they portrayed Joseph in that scene, you know, as such a solid, likable man. And I say that because, you know, most people only know one thing about Joseph, and that is that he could have kicked Mary to the curb and chose not to, chose to marry her instead. Well, friends, let me tell you something. There's a lot more to know about Joseph than that. But it is true that what we know about Joseph is honestly pretty limited in the New Testament. Uh, we know that Mary, uh, he, felt, he thought that Mary had betrayed him, but then God sent an angel in a dream to straighten him out. Uh, we know that Joseph took Mary as his wife and raised Jesus as his son. Uh, we know that, Mary, that Joseph was there in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 years old and he astounded the scholars at the temple. Uh, we just saw that clip a second ago. And then honestly, Joseph just drops off the scene. 
and we never hear another word about him. Joseph is never quoted in the New Testament. Not one word is recorded that Joseph said, we're not told what happened to him, we're not told if he died, we're not told when he died or how he died, nothing. No obituary for Joseph in the New Testament. And yet, friends, Joseph was a noble man who was chosen by God to lead the family that Jesus grew up in. I mean, think about it. Joseph was a simple carpenter who had a very common name, but he was named after one of the greatest Jewish heroes of the Old Testament. And man, Joseph, we know talking about the Joseph we studied this past summer, you know, who rose from slavery to become the prime minister of the Egyptian empire. Well, friends, the Joseph that God chose to raise his son showed the same kind of courageous character, and you're going to see that as we drill down into his life today. Joseph was also the father of James and Jude, two half-brothers of Jesus. Listen, James became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem, and he wrote the book of James, which is one of my favorite books, and then Jude, his brother, also wrote a book in the New Testament and has one of the most beautiful benedictions and blessings anywhere in Scripture. Friends, Jesus and two New Testament writers all grew up in the home that God chose Joseph to lead. And 2,000 years later, we are still being impacted by that noble legacy. Now, you know, when I was in graduate school... <clears throat> I lived with a man when I was at school named uh, Gene Algram. And let me tell you, he was a noble man just like Joseph. Uh, Gene had worked in a factory up in Chicago for most of his life. Uh, he was a volunteer leader, I think a deacon and an elder at a great Christian church up in Chicago. Uh, when his pastor was asked to become the president of Emmanuel Christian Seminary, uh, he moved to Tennessee and asked Gene to leave his job and move to Tennessee with him to run the facility and the grounds for that great seminary. And Mr. Algram was just a, a simple, godly man, hard worker, loved to work with his hands. But he had a wife that was vivacious. And, and I mean, she was just kind of a life of the party person. And Mr. Algram was just not that guy. I mean, he was fun and he was a sensible, godly, down to earth, hard worker. And yet he raised three amazing kids, one of whom became a pastor and a national church leader in our fellowship of churches and honestly has been a mentor for me most of my life. Now, I think Mr. Algram was a lot like Joseph. And I think that's true of, of several thousand men in our church. And friends, I think part of the character of Joseph is also seen in the fact that he was so secure in who God made him to be. Now, honestly, Joseph had a high-profile wife who kind of overshadowed him. And yet, he loved her, served her. He did not resent her. He wasn't insecure because of her. Now, you know, the male ego is a funny thing. Anybody want to say amen? <laughs> uh, I'm using funny. That's, that's the nicest way I could put that. I mean, with all that testosterone, I'm telling you, some men are still so stinking sensitive. It's amazing. I mean, you read about these men who are married to high-profile, high-capacity women, and I'm telling you, unless there is some deep character and maturity on both sides, man, those marriages will struggle. Now, I know it's probably only me and Eric Johnson and about three other old people here, but how many of y'all remember when Senator Bob Dole ran for president? Y'all remember him? Yes. Bob Dole, he was a war hero, plain-spoken war hero from Kansas. Well, he married this vivacious North Carolina girl named Elizabeth. And man, Elizabeth was a high energy Harvard Law School graduate, attorney. Man, she became the Secretary of Transportation, Secretary of Labor, uh, later became the head of the International Red Cross. 
Many people thought, dude, Elizabeth would make a better president than, than Senator Dole because she was so sharp and so politically savvy. Now, for some article, a photographer took a picture of Bob Dole helping his wife make the bed. And after the picture, uh, the, the reporter said, that is really nice for you to do that. Uh, I'm guessing you're just making the bed for the picture, right? And he's like, are you serious? I make the bed all the time. She's the one just doing it for the picture. Now, Joseph was not a senator. He was a carpenter. He was a behind-the-scenes kind of guy who played what you might mistakenly think was a minor role in the Christmas story. But friends, God chose this unassuming man because of his maturity and his dependability. And let me tell you one more thing. I think the reason, the primary reason God chose Joseph to lead the family that Jesus grew up in is because he had a track record for obedience. Everybody say obedience. obedience. This is what he was known for. Obedience to God is the quality that made this common man so uncommon. And although he didn't know a ton, we don't know a ton about Joseph, man, as we drill down into his life today, you're going to see Joseph. Joseph was willing to obey when a lesser person would have punked out. Now let's just dig into his story and let's pray that when God is looking for somebody to choose at our church, we will be that person who has a track record for obedience. But that means that like Joseph, you're going to have to obey God when it feels awkward. Everybody say awkward. Because it is awkward sometimes. Here's the backstory. If you weren't with us last week, I talked about all this last week. And if you want to watch that message, go to the website and you can check it out. But you know, Mary in the Christmas story is told that God chose her to miraculously give birth to Jesus. And then the angel told her that if she needed any proof or needed any encouragement, she needs to go see her Aunt Elizabeth in another city. And man, Mary does that. <clears throat> and before she arrives at Elizabeth's house, she has already conceived Jesus. She stays at Elizabeth's house for three months until Elizabeth has her baby, whom they named John, uh, and he later on grew up to be John the Baptist. And then Mary returns home to Nazareth, and she is three months pregnant and showing, and that is the first time Joseph hears the news that she has conceived a child in a miraculous way. Joseph, it's the Lord. This is awesome. My baby's going to be the Savior. This is a God thing. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You are betrothed to a respected young woman who has just been an example of purity and a model of integrity and she's pregnant and unmarried and it wasn't you. That's trouble. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and so he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, friends, you got to know Joseph is deeply disappointed in Mary because he doesn't believe her story. Her story is hard to believe. And so Joseph, as a Jewish man, basically had three legal options that he could pursue according to the Hebrew law. Number one, he could have her stoned to death because of adultery. But can I just tell you, the Jews almost never did this. This is almost never done in the history of the Jewish people. It's done in other religions. It was never hardly done in the Jewish religion. But he could have outed her in public and he could have created a big old scene in the middle of Nazareth and condemned and humiliated and divorced her. And listen, everybody in that town would have understood that. Everybody in that little small village knew that Elizabeth came home from a trip three months away and she came home pregnant. And man, he could just throw her under the bus and be done with that engagement. It would ruin her. 
But he'd be out of it. I mean, it'd be cruel, but effective for him. But I want you to watch what happens. Because Joseph doesn't exercise either one of those rights, even though he feels like he's been betrayed. And friends, this is the first glimpse we see of the character that explains why God chose this simple man to lead the family that Jesus grew up in. Because you know, when you're in a bad spot, there's always a third option. There's always a third option. Now, my friend Miles McPherson is the pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego. And Miles recently wrote a book entitled The Third Option. And you know, this is, he wrote about what he believes is a godly solution to the racial division in our country. And he says in this book, you know the first option? Just look the other way. Do it if it don't affect you. Pretend it isn't a problem. Even if people you know are suffering, just pretend we don't even have a problem. Second option, burn the house down. Rewrite history. Tear down the government. Hate, attack. Anybody who disagrees with you, anybody who hurts you or you think might hurt you, burn it all down. But he says, you know what? There's always a third option. And he says the third option is honor. Everybody say it honor, where you honor people. Friends, honoring people that God loves, even if they are unlovable, is a biblical command. Listen, throughout history, Christ followers have shocked people by honoring folks who are hurt instead of taking advantage of them. Showing honor to people who disappoint us. Showing honor to people that you disagree with. Showing honor to people that you think are crazy because they're taking one of those first two options. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. I mean, 50 years after Joseph has died, Paul said, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Does it say if they agree with you? No. If they're really godly? No. If they behave? No. This is the power, the proactive power of love. You be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. Astoundingly, that's what we see Joseph doing right here before God helps him understand. Friends, this is what Jesus grew up to do. And so this is the way we do it in the kingdom of God. Is it awkward to show honor to people you disagree with? Of course it is. But this is one way we honor the Lord rather than our emotions or our hate or our anger or bitterness or whatever. Now, Joseph died long before Paul wrote Romans 12. But let me tell you, he had heard what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3. King Solomon, that brilliant old king, wrote, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. You don't expect this necessarily from everybody else, but don't ever let it leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. You let loyalty and kindness shape the way you respond to people and then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Joseph had heard that all his life. And I think one reason that God chose Joseph is because he's the kind of person who would obey this kind of spiritual principle and show honor to Mary even when he was super disappointed in her even when he believed the right thing to do was to break up with her. Well, we can do that in an honorable way. We don't have to do it in a hateful way. I mean, look at verse 19. Joseph was a righteous man, Matthew says. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Anybody ever, ever been on Facebook? <laughs> Social media? 
You ever see people just ripping each other, disgracing anybody who disagrees with them? That's not God's way, y'all. That's, that's, not, that's not what righteous men did. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph was righteous. And that means that Joseph consistently chose to do the right thing in the right way, even when it was awkward. I mean, he felt like he had to get out of that relationship. He thought Mary had lost her integrity and lost her mind. But he didn't let that situation cause him to lose his mind. He didn't let her actions cause him to abandon his integrity. And listen, man, when you know, you know his friends were telling him, Joseph, burn her down. Burn her down. Uh, humiliate her the way she humiliated you. You got to save face, bro. But this is so impressive that Joseph chooses the high road of treating Mary with honor before, before he has his dream where the Lord spells it all out for him. Now, friends, as Solomon said, he was loyal to someone he loved even when he thought she had not been loyal to him. That's character, man. That's character. And so as this righteous man Thinks about this situation, he's asking himself, all right, if it was me, how would I want to be treated? And then that's what he did for Mary. Does that make him a doormat? No, no. He thinks there are consequences of this, and Mary's got to face these consequences, but he's going to take the high road in friends. I think that character is one reason why God chose Joseph. I mean, look at verse 20. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord. And aren't you thinking, don't you know that angel showed up? He's like, whoo, close, right? After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, jo look at this, Joseph, son of David, not Joseph Carpenter, Joseph Union member. He didn't say Joseph of Nazareth. What's he doing? You have an identity, old son. You, you are linking a chain that goes all the way back to the greatest king in Israel. You have an identity in your relationship with God. You are a son of David. So don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son, but you, you are going to give him the name Jesus because that he was going to save his people from their sins. And man, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. You remember Isaiah said this back in Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. And he took Mary home as his wife. Friends, when Joseph woke up from that dream, he was obedient to the command of God as he understood it. And he immediately pushed up the wedding date and he took Mary home as his wife. Now, did that stop all the gossip in Nazareth? Of course not. Did that stop people from saying cruel, you know, crushing things about both of them? Of course not. But friends, Joseph obeyed the Lord even when it was awkward to do so. And I think that's one reason why God chose him. Now, now you, you've got to know being obedient to the Lord is awkward sometimes. I mean, you might feel awkward in a public restaurant, bowing your head and thanking God for your meal. But you know, you want to obey the command of God. The scripture says, be thankful in all things. This is God's will for you. And so your gratefulness is stronger than your fear of awkwardness. Uh, maybe par your parents. Listen, maybe your children might not understand why you would give 10% of your income to your church 
Why in the world would you bring a Christmas gift at a time like this when times are so hard? They don't understand the fact that you want to obey the word of the Lord. But man, when your faithfulness is stronger than that sense of awkwardness, great things happen. You know, sometimes when you're sideways with somebody, it's just easier to not say that last 10% of the truth that would make so much difference because it's just awkward to do so. But man, when truth-telling is important to you, when reconciliation, when healing is important to you, it's more important than the fear of awkwardness and you obey. And Joseph was that guy. And that's one of the reasons why God chose him. But that's not all. Joseph was also the kind of person who would obey God even when it's inconvenient. Everybody say inconvenient. inconvenient. Sometimes obeying the Lord is inconvenient, y'all. Listen, once Joseph signs on to God's plan, you know, to be the stepdad of Jesus, dude, he got stuff to do. I mean, he plans a, a hurry-up marriage with Mary, and then there's a taxation issue, so he's got to go to Bethlehem. So he's got to plan out this 85-mile journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And, man, she's getting, you know, closer and closer to her due date. Oh, by the way, did I mention I got a new grandchild coming? Have I mentioned that yet? Oh, there's my little grandbaby right in there right now. You know when that baby's due? December the 7th. You know when that baby's showing up? God only knows. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, so we're texting all the time. Where's my baby? I mean, where's your baby? Has <laughs> the baby come yet? No, we're still in a holding pattern. We're still waiting. He's not here yet. She's not here yet. We're trying to keep Megan comfortable. We've got the bags packed. It could happen any minute. We're ready to go. And listen, when you're the leader of a family like that, you got a plan. Amen? Dude, you got a plan. And you want things to happen according to that plan. And when they don't, that creates stress. Now think about poor Joseph. I mean, beyond the normal inconvenience of having to wait for the baby to arrive and find a place in Bethlehem and maybe locate a midwife to help with the delivery and all that stuff, Matthew tells us that God commanded Joseph to get his family together and move out of this city right now three times. Three times. I mean, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. They've been probably living in a house in Bethlehem for a couple years at this point. And when they, talking about the wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now he's getting used to hearing from God in dreams at this point. Get up, the angel said. Take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now we're going to talk about this part of the Christmas story next week. But friends, obedience to God causes Joseph to uproot his family and move a thousand miles away to another country where they speak another language. Why? Obedience to God will save my son's life. And then some time goes by, and Matthew records in verse 19 of chapter 2, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Joseph, get up, take this child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And what does Joseph do? Bam. He got up. He took that child and his mother went back to the land of Israel. Now, we assume he went back to Bethlehem. That's where he left. That's where he had some business going on. Somewhere around Jerusalem, because Jesus is going to be involved in the temple, he thinks, and all of that. But in the very next verse, Matthew tells us that God gives Joseph another change of plans. Look at verse 22. When he, Joseph, had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go to Judea. I mean, Joseph is thinking, oh, no. This is the son of that nut king who killed every baby boy under two years of age trying to destroy Jesus. I don't trust him either. 
And it turns out Joseph was right. And so it says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, and he went and lived in a little town. And what was the name of that town? Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth. Don't you? I mean, here we are, years later, three moves later, Joseph has got to be thinking, can you believe we are back right here where it all started? We are big full circle all the way back to Nazareth. Think about the inconveniences that Joseph had thrust on him. He had that horrible gossip issue in Nazareth. He got to take Mary with him for taxation, you know, 85 miles away. He got to find a place for them to live and settle and have a baby in Bethlehem. And then he's got to flee to you know, Egypt as a refugee. And then he's got to come back to Judea. Oh, no, not safe there. Recalculating. Let's go north to Nazareth. I mean, maybe nobody in Jerusalem will look for us there. And friends, while they're living in Nazareth, Joseph was a spiritual leader of his home. Was he a great preacher? No. Could he pray as good as Mary? Probably not. But he was a spiritual leader, made sure his family got down to Jerusalem for the Passover every year. And when Jesus was 12 years old, he stayed at the temple and the family left. Has anybody here ever left a kid at church? Be honest. Come on, hold your hand. Sarah, hold your hand up, baby. Anybody? Anybody? That's all that happened. I mean, they left Jesus in Jerusalem and he's at the temple teaching and we saw the clip a minute ago. But friends, you know, it's easy to obey God when it neatly fits in your plan. But the obedience that generally makes the most difference is when it's not easy, when it's inconvenient. Uh, I know a pastor in Fort Lauderdale who told about a conversation he had with a new Christian in his church. This is a young man who was having an ethical issue at work. He said, the boss is asking all of us waiters to turn in how much money we make on tips every day. Uh, and the servers all got together and decided we're going to collectively lie. Uh, we're going to turn in less than we actually receive, uh, thinking that, you know, if we play our cards right, then we might get a bump in our hourly wage. And, and so this guy asked his pastor, you know, everybody's doing it. The whole team's doing it. What, what should I do? <laughs> his pastor said, bro, you're, you're a son of God. You have to obe be obedient to the Lord. You got to tell the truth, whether they do or not. And so he did. And he turned in the accurate amount of tips every day, which was significantly higher than everybody else was turning in. And they despised him for that. And I mean, every week he kept on turning in the true numbers. And every week, the resentment and the opposition from his coworkers continued to grow. And I mean, those servers got mean. Dude, they started to look for opportunities to trip him, make him drop plates and spill food and spill drinks. The cooks in the kitchen started doing his orders last. And had everybody waiting. And so his tips started to go down because of the delay in delivering food to his guests. But that young buck, he remained, he remained strong. He remained strong. And the pastor said a couple months later, he came back to see him. And he said, you know, yesterday, the head of the restaurant chain was in and he wanted to see me. And he asked me straight up about the tips. He said, are the tip numbers you're turning in accurate? And I said, yes, sir, they are. And he said, you know, we're looking for store managers who are honest, that we can count on to show integrity even when it's not popular. And right there at that interview, he named this kid the new manager of the restaurant, and then all those coworkers have been dogging him. Now they're answering to him. Yeah. Praise the Lord, yeah. Now listen, can I, hold up, before we start clapping too hard. God does not always reward obedience that quickly. But isn't it great when he does? You know, isn't it great what he does? Now listen, we gotta, we gotta catch this. The blessing of God on obedience generally does not come overnight. I mean, Joseph and Mary were in this thing for years. It didn't come overnight for Joseph. It didn't come overnight for that young waiter. It's not gonna come out overnight for you. It takes time and perseverance 
before obedience is eventually rewarded by the Lord normally. But now hear me, friends. Obedience to Jesus will be inconvenient for you. It will be inconvenient. I mean, you know, speaking up to a person in your section at the restaurant or at a ball game whose speech is just totally inappropriate, thinking through an honorable way to do that and then stepping up, that's inconvenient. I work out with a guy who was in a situation like that. Some guy was drunk and just making a fool out of himself and he came over to my buddy's table and he said, Bo, you have had too much to drink. And God used that. And that guy shut down and, and got out of there. And I thought, praise the Lord. And I'm writing it down. You have got too much to drink. You know, I'm going to try that line next. Now, generally, it doesn't work for me when I use stuff like that. You know what? Coming back to church rather than staying home on the couch may seem inconvenient to you. But friends, we are commanded, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. I mean, apparently back in the New Testament days, people were caving into convenience and they were told, man, if you can get to church, you should get to church. If you don't, you're doing yourself a spiritual disservice. Now, if you're online today because you have health concerns, I get that. But man, one of the great things that we love about our church is that we obey the Lord whether it's convenient or not. And obedience means driving a separate car or you know, on an out-of-town business trip so you don't give the wrong impression if you're traveling with a, uh, a co-worker of the opposite sex. Listen, maintaining a good example is inconvenient. People might belittle you. That might make it awkward. It's inconvenient for parents to search high and low with their teenage students for modest and yet stylish clothing. It's inconvenient, of course. Man, obedience may take the form, as it did with Joseph, of, you know what, just hanging in there and loving your spouse and loving your family and doing what you got to do to provide for them and protect them and keep them safe when it's tough to do so. But friends, I'm telling you one reason God chose Joseph is that he was willing to obey even if it was awkward, even if it was inconvenient. But I think there's one more expression of obedience that we see in this noble man, and that is that Joseph was willing to obey God even when it didn't make sense to him, even when it didn't make sense. You know, one of the ways that God knows that he's the leader of your life is when you obey him, even if it doesn't make sense to you. And then when God knows that you will obey, he will start choosing you to do some really important things. And we see this trait in Joseph because of what we learn in verse 24. Take a look at that. In verse 24, it says, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Look at this. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. <laughs> That's a pretty significant little line right there. Think about it. Joseph and Mary get married, but they don't consummate that marriage for six, maybe seven months after baby Jesus is born. Now compare that to our culture. We got people in our culture who seem to value sexual purity and obeying God so little, they don't even wait until they become friends, much less married. But Joseph and Mary waited until after Jesus was born. Maybe Joseph felt like, you know, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, this is a very unusual situation and Joseph was a righteous guy and honoring God by doing the right thing was important to him. Or maybe Joseph remembered Isaiah's prophecy concerning the unique nature of the Messiah 
And he felt like he learned from the word what he was supposed to do. You know, this is so important that Matthew actually quotes this verse in verse 23, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's gonna, the sign going to be? A virgin will be with child, and a virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Isaiah said a virgin is going to give birth, and I'm assuming Joseph took that literally. And so as a leader of that family, he let Mary know, we're going to wait until after Jesus is born. Now, friends, only something super important would cause a newlywed couple to wait six or seven months like this. Apparently, Joseph and Mary thought obedience to God was super important whether it made sense to their friends and family or not. Now, you know, <clears throat> when Dave Stewart, our missions pastor, told me, you know, how obedient you guys have been to the Lord, you know, with over 600,000 more uh, pledges coming in in the last couple of weeks, it, it, it reminded me of the first compassion Christian that we ever sent abroad as a missionary out of obedience to God. His name was Josh Turpin. Josh was a single guy. He was a member of our church, one of the most noble young men I have ever known. When Josh was a junior in Bible college up at Prairie Bible Institute in Calgary, up in Canada, a man came and spoke at their chapel about the deep need for people to find a, a real life-changing relationship with Jesus in Greece. <laughs> when this guy started talking about Greece, Josh is like, what? That don't make a lick of sense to me. I mean, Greece has been influenced by the teachings of Jesus since the apostle Paul. But if you've been there in our day, for most of the people in Greece, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, Christianity is a nationalistic thing. It's a, it's a religious ritual. There's no heart. There's no relationship with Christ. There's nothing life-changing about it. And as he sat in that chapel, Josh believed that God chose him to take the gospel to Greece. And then his second thought was, this doesn't make a lick of sense. I don't speak Greek. I don't know anybody in Greece. This is ridiculous. But that sense that God chose him never let up. And so when he graduated, he communicated what God was doing in his life. And we decided as a church we would support him. And when we decided to support him, doors started opening for him. And he went to Greece and he connected with this little church up in Larissa, which is up in the northern part of Greece. And when that brother showed up in Larissa, I'm telling you, he turbocharged that ministry. I mean, he was a proactive athlete. He started reaching out to students, and dude, the church just started growing. And there was a NATO base not far away. And so he started going to that NATO base, and he met American soldiers there and their families and their students, and they started to come to the church. And then John started organizing soccer tournaments and sports ministries, and he reached out to local athletes that would never have darkened the door of a church. Man, one of our GO teams went to that city and played against you know, the guys, the, the, the city team at Larissa, which was kind of a, a feeder group for the Greek national basketball team. Dave Algar was our youth pastor. Harrison was in high school, and they beat those jokers. Can I hear amen? amen. Yeah, show a little American basketball. But I'm telling you, man, Josh, God used his love for sports to just open door after door after door. And man, he came back after six or seven years, you know, just to, get a, just to catch his breath. And he went out to Texas to do some graduate studies. And at 31 years of age, Josh died in his sleep in the middle of the night. And it just broke my heart, man. His funeral was on December the 17th, 2003, the year that we moved out here to the Henderson campus for the very first time. But friends, 
17 years later, our church has invested so much into that church in Greece and it is thriving and prevailing and Jesus is saving people there. Why? Because God chose a single man in the outback of Canada who had a, tra a track record for obedience, just like Joseph, a kid who would obey whether it made sense or not. And friends, God wants to choose you. He has chosen you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you gifts that you can use to honor him. Maybe you'll honor God with those gifts in some exciting way, like Josh traveling somewhere else all over the world. Or maybe you will honor God with your gifts as you faithfully love and serve and protect your family just like Joseph did. But if you want God to choose you, you got to choose him. And then you got to do what he calls you to do. Father, I'm so thankful that you chose Joseph to lead this family. That's a good man. He wasn't an extrovert. He wasn't a wide open personality. He didn't have a teaching gift, Lord. He never started any churches anywhere. But you chose him to lead the family that Jesus grew up in. And his sons had a huge impact on the world. And I'm praising God. I pray, God, that you will raise up 5,000 men in our church just like that. Men who will develop a track record for obedience. I pray, God, that you will raise up 5,000 women in our church, just like Mary, Lord, who have a, a, just a, a desire to obey, a willingness to obey, whether it makes sense or not, whether it's awkward or not, whether it's inconvenient or not. And I pray, God, that it will start today, that there will be people who will obey you today. They know they need to get saved. They know they need to repent of their sins. They know their next step is to be baptized into Christ. I pray, God, today is the day they will begin to obey. Just build a track record for obedience. Lord, whatever you want, I will do. Wherever you want me to serve, I will serve. Whatever you want me to teach, I will teach. Whatever you want me to do next, I will do. And I pray God we'll see it today. And you'll be glorified and lives will be changed and the kingdom will expand because we have a track record of obeying you. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and we look forward to it happening today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.